Happy Friday, everyone. Welcome to Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Berard. I'm your host, Michelle Berard, founder and CEO of Urban Book Editor, LLC. And I'm really, really happy to share this hour with you, where we examine all those places where spirit meets life and the joys and challenges that may bring. Now, those of you who've been listening for a while know that Somewhere in the Middle is intended to be a safe place where we can learn and grow together. We discuss a variety of topics, ranging from love to politics to money and business and beyond. And that is because the human experience is wide and varied. You guys know I like to start by thanking Ms. Beverly Black and Tribe Family Channel for helping me create this space for us. Tribe Family Channel is home to an assortment of thought-provoking shows that explore life, spirit, business, and culture, including The Woman at the Well, hosted by Ms. Beverly Black herself. Somewhere in the Middle was born on Tribe Family Channel, and though we've grown onto our own platform, we are ever grateful and loyal to our roots. To paraphrase an African proverb, we are here only because we stand on the shoulders of those who came before us. I also want to give a shout out to my guest on the September 7th show, Denise August. You can connect with Denise on social media and grab her books on Amazon and at other fine retailers. If you missed that show, make sure you listen to the replay. Denise shared many valuable insights she gained throughout her life about relationships and abuse, including financial abuse. You can get to the replay by visiting Somewhere in the Middle at bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash Somewhere in the Middle Radio, and checking out the on-demand shows. You can find our complete show archives, including the September 7th show, at bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash Somewhere in the Middle Podcast. I also want to shout out Bruce George of the Genius is Common movement, which encourages all of us to embrace our inner genius and share it with the world. doesn't matter what you do whether you're a hair braider or a mechanic or a teacher or a computer person. It's really important that you share your genius with the world. And this message is important for the youth, but not just for the youth. We need to be reminded, even as adults, that the world needs our genius. Learn more about the Genius is Common movement at www.geniusiscommon.com. I am so pleased to introduce tonight's guest, Dr. Marcia Demers. Marcia Demers is an accomplished professional with many credits to her name. She has 10 years of experience in clinical pharmacy and holds a doctorate in pharmacy from Nova Southeastern University. Dr. Demers is a licensed pharmacist in Florida, Pennsylvania, and Virginia. She's a member of the Phi Delta Chi Pharmaceutical Fraternity, which recognized her as the most volunteered brother. 
She is also a member of Nova Southeastern's Rokai Honor Society, which recognizes students for consistent academic excellence. In addition to her many achievements, Marcia is now a two-time international best-selling author. She recently became certified as an author coach, showing others how to become best-selling authors using a foolproof formula. She epitomizes energy, creativity, commitment, reliability, and integrity in every area of her life. Marcia Demers is also a realtor. Her goal is to assist others with one of their most important investments and helping to make home ownership attainable for people who think they may never achieve that dream. Marcia is a highly driven, self-motivated individual who enjoys people, reading, dancing, travel, and working out. And while she remains consistently engaged in working on her own personal growth and development, her core passion is philanthropy, giving back, and helping others to achieve their goals and dreams. So I'd like to welcome Dr. Marcia Demures to Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Berard. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Dr. Marcia, for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, Michelle. I appreciate the opportunity to share with you. Awesome. I am super excited because you are a dynamic personality. You have done so many things in your life. And I like to start off my interviews with two questions, and I think these are ideal for you. So if you're mm -hmm. all set, I will ask those two questions. Go ahead. All right. Dr. Marcia Demers, who are you, and how did you become who you are today? Okay. Who am I? Well, I am now everything that I have been, like my entire journey, has made me who I am today. I am just a simple girl who was born in Montego Bay, Jamaica, who has just uh, been through a lot of challenges, overcome a lot of obstacles, and that has just taught me how to grow as a person, how to develop character, how to fight through life, and how to accomplish what is it what it is that I want to or what I need to um, I came from very humble beginnings uh, my mom was a seamstress uh, my dad was a tailor and my dad I, I was actually raised in a single parent home because my dad left when I was three years old to pursue his dream of a better life in England and so my mom basically raised both my sister and I just two of us. My sister is a little older than I am. And she basically had to work night and day just to um, essentially get us out of what would be considered poverty. And at the time, I'm sure I didn't feel poor because, you know, I, my needs were met. But, you know, we really lived in, in the heart of poverty, you know, looking back. You know, I can tell. But my mom, she was, she just taught me so well in terms of work ethics. And so just applying everything that she taught me got me where I am today. And there were ups and downs. It wasn't a smooth road. However, you know, I'm here to just tell everyone that they can 
overcome their circumstances and they can rise and thrive. That's it in, um, in summary. I came from, like I said, very humble beginnings and uh, today I am an accomplished professional. I am a clinical pharmacist. I have been a pharmacist for over 10 years. I have my doctorate in pharmacy. I am a licensed pharmacist in Florida, Pennsylvania, and Virginia. I am also a licensed realtor, and I am a two-time international best-selling author. And as far as my authorship, that was done. I became a bestseller twice within one year. Wow. Wow. That's phenomenal. So let me ask you some questions based on what you said. First of all, we all, we all know a pharmacist as being someone who kind of is behind the counter uh, giving us our meds, right? So what specifically is a clinical pharmacist? Because I just don't know. Well, a clinical pharmacist, you basically, it's not just, I know people see us as just counting pills and handing them out, but <laughs> it's a lot more. Um, you have to look at the person's uh, medical history. You have to make sure that there, there's no interaction between a drug that they may be taken and a drug that has been prescribed. Uh, there's also the, you have to look at um, from the insurance side, you have to make sure that everything, you have to follow certain criteria to make sure they're actually covered for the drug that, that's prescribed itself. Uh, you have to look at the person as a whole. You have to counsel them and make sure they are able to take their medicines effectively. They understand how to take them. For example, if it's an inhaler, they understand how to use the device properly so they get the maximum benefit. So it's a lot. It's a lot. Um, you have to make sure that you have the right patient, <laughs> the right drug, you know, you have the, everything has to be just tight and right. So it's very complicated, and it looks like, you know, we're just, as I said, just counting pills and handing them out. But, you know, it's like, it's it's a matter of the person's life. And we're considered the drug experts, and actually the doctors will depend on us to make sure that they themselves are prescribing even the right dose of a drug, the correct drug, et cetera. So um, we play a very critical role in terms of the health of the individual patient. So it's not, it's not like you just go in, uh, take some courses, get your undergrad, and you're done, right? <laughs> I mean, there's yeah. constant education is what I'm, what I'm getting. And, of course, you went to a doctorate level, so that's even... That's higher, isn't that higher than the average pharmacist might go? Oh, yeah. Understanding. Oh, yes. It, it, it's a six-year course. You can actually take your prerequisites for two years and then go into the four-year program, so that's six years. Some people do their bachelor's, so they end up doing eight years, four and then four. And, yes, it's, it's a continual education process because science changes every day. Medicine changes every day. New drugs come out. You know, they discover things about older drugs that, you know, may not be 
essentially serving the purpose that they thought you know, initially it was, you know, things are recalled, and so yes, and so we do, and we actually have to take continuing educational courses every year in order to renew our license. So it's not a one and done. You know, we have to stay on top of things and stay educated and keep keep up with exactly what's on the cutting edge. But you also decided to become a realtor. Which came first, pharmacist or realtor? No, pharmacist came first. <laughs> pharmacist came first. So, um, I, go ahead. No, so I'm wondering, did you see medicine? You mentioned that you came from very humble beginnings. Did you see medicine as an area where you could help people and prosper, or how did you come to that decision to become a pharmacist? Yes, I've always been just fascinated by the human body and how it works, and uh, my mom actually <laughs> uh, put it in my head that I wanted to become a doctor, but as soon as I got away from her and went away to school, I realized that's not what I wanted to do because I'm very family-oriented, and I was like, well, I can see that I don't want to be called at 2 o'clock in the morning and have to leave my family. I don't want to have to work around the clock. I want something with flexibility where I can still, you know, work in an area that I'm passionate about, but I have a reasonable life work or work-life balance so I can still cater to the needs of my family. And so that's how I came up with pharmacy has been as being a good option well yeah because doctors are constantly on call and um well not i guess not all doctors are constantly on call but most doctors and are are pretty much on call right so right and we have pretty rigorous hours too but you know at least uh we do get to come home when our shift is done you know so and so Tell me more about your decision-making process. How did you come to, how did you come to, did you decide, well, I also want to, I want to make an impact, but I, I want to make a nice living? Because a lot of people want to make an impact, who want to help, might decide to go work in a nonprofit and, or I want to go teach or something like that. So what were your what were your factors that came into your mind? Not, you know, I like medicine. I want to help people. When yeah, I looked at everything. To be honest with you, I looked at everything. You know, I like, I like medicine. You know, I'm fascinated with the functioning of the human body. Um, but at the time, realistically, when I started thinking of going back to pharmacy school and started taking individual courses at the time, I was raising four little kids because I had married into a blended family. And so, I, yeah, I was like, well, you know, I need something that's going to get us through financially also. So I looked at all of the factors, you know, to be honest with you. And um, I thought pharmacy was the perfect fit for me. And so I took that course and I went down that road. And um, I love it. And how did you balance that? You were rearing four kids and going to school in a very demanding field. How did you balance all yes. that? Uh, that was tough. That was tough. In fact, I started out taking my prerequisites in Honolulu, Hawaii, because I was married at the time uh, to a military man. And so we were stationed in Hawaii. 
And but when I moved back to the mainland and ended up going to school full time, uh, in my second year, I almost quit the pharmacy school because I started to feel guilty, like I wasn't having uh, enough time to spend with my children. And but fortunately for me, I was surrounded by really great people who supported me and knew how to put me back in track. And so I had, there were three young ladies that were part of my study group, you know, really go-getters, you know, really, yeah, perfect for my, for, for in terms of um, collaborating with them. And so when they knew I was getting despondent and getting discouraged, you know, one of the young ladies said to me, she said, so why are you here again? And I said, well, primarily because of my family. And they were like, exactly. So now you're gonna leave because of your family? And she's like, that makes no sense to me. <laughs> you know. So you know, it was kind of like a reality check. And so you know, that helps just to have the right people around me. Yeah, leave it you know, to your struggle. Leave it to your girlfriends to keep you honest, right? Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. You're an author, a two-time international best-selling author. You've got two books, Awaken, right. The Time Is Now, right. and Out of the Fire, From Poverty to Prosperity. Right. What, what are you sharing in those books? What is it that you're, well, what's your message? Uh, my message is, to put it in one word, well, three words, or for a message of hope, <laughs> basically a message of hope. You know, I, I believe that we all have a story. You know, I just know that my story was not for me. It was to help someone else. And I now know that all that I went through, all of my prior experiences, like I said, were just not for me, but so that I could stand today and show others how to make it through. And so, you know, for this very reason, I decided to become transparent, open myself up and make myself available to people who need me. You know, I just uh, got to the point where I had to look more at the needs of someone else than protecting myself and even my own quote unquote private life, you know, and I got to the point where I was just willing to become emotional naked and in full service, if that's what's required, what's required of me to walk in my purpose. And, you know, I, believe it or not, I'm, I'm an introvert, but it's just so much more important for me to be of service than to be comfortable in my own skin. And so I just decided to just put myself out there. And the first book, yes, it was a struggle, you know, telling all of my business. <laughs> By the time I got to the second one, I was like, I don't care. <laughs> okay. I was like, whatever, let's go. <laughs> so, yeah. So I just, you know, I just, if I take the focus off of me, I'm good. <laughs> so. Okay. So let's do this. I really want to hear some of those key stories that you share and why you chose to share them. But I want to do a couple of announcements first. So we're going to take a second and have some announcements, and then we'll be back with Dr. Marcia Demers. 
Hey everybody, it's me, Michelle Berard, host of Somewhere in the Middle and founder and CEO of Urban Book Editor, LLC. And I'm Julia Black, energy healer, empathic life coach, and founder of Sacred Ash Healing. Are you feeling like you're stuck and can't move forward? Have you been struggling to birth a big goal like a book or a business? Are you feeling overwhelmed and looking to make changes in your career? If you're at all like us, when that deer and headlights feeling hits you, you just don't know where to begin. Talking to friends and family can help, but when you're in need of an objective opinion, it helps to speak with someone who is prepared to listen and to provide practical guidance to help you move forward. That's where a coach comes in. That's why Julia and I are excited to share a way we can help you get unstuck and start moving towards your goals again. And to make it easy for you, we're offering a complimentary call with one of us to help you start moving forward. All you have to do is go to WeRiseMovement.com to schedule your free insight and inspiration call with either Michelle or me. The insight and inspiration call can help you get clear about your goals, uncover hidden challenges that may be hindering your progress, discover steps you can take today to move toward accomplishing your goals, and you will leave the session feeling renewed, re-energized, and inspired to take action. All you have to do is visit www.WeRiseMovement.com and schedule your free insight and inspiration call today. That's WeRiseMovement.com. There's a saying that goes, nothing will move in your life until you do. Get moving by booking your free insight and inspiration call at www.WeRiseMovement.com. Okay, so we are back with Dr. Marcia Demers. And Dr. Marcia, you were sharing with us how it was a little challenging the first time out writing your book and sharing all your business, as you said. Um, yeah. Give me an example of one of the things that you shared in your book that was maybe challenging and then why you chose to share it. Uh, let me think. Okay, um, if you don't mind, I can read an extract from my book. That would be wonderful, yes. I can read an excerpt, right. So while in Tampa, Florida, I became pregnant and suffered a miscarriage. I was devastated. I can still recall going in for an ultrasound after I started spotting a 13-week gestation. I could not hear a heartbeat. In the middle of it all, a cloud fell over the technician's face. The silence was deafening. Immediately I knew. However, as was the protocol, she did not have the authority to share such sensitive news with me. I sat in the hallway in tears for two hours waiting to hear the doctor utter the words I already knew. That was torture. As life would have it, on the way home, home there was an abortion clinic on the corner of my street. I looked over and it was as if someone had stuck a wrench in my gut. I bawled like a baby. For months, I did not want to be touched. A little over a year later, I was blessed with a successful pregnancy and gave birth to a beautiful baby boy, Bradley. When Bradley was about to start walking, I decided I had to move out of the apartment we were in and get him into the house where he would have lots of room to run around and grow. I was determined. 
I was now employed at SmithKline Beecham Labs as a technician, making very little money, living from paycheck to paycheck. I stopped buying lunch and eating out, started brown bagging it every day, stopped spending money frivolously and on impulse items, attended every first-time homebuyer seminar within reach, and saved like I was going to live forever. Within six months, I had purchased my first home at 7609 Caracal Court. Unfortunately, Bradley's father and I were not meant to be, and we parted ways shortly after. The downside, I now had a mortgage. Here I was, a single parent, hustling and trying to make ends meet. I swallowed my pride and decided that it was not about me, but the responsibility I had for the child I brought into this world. I applied for government assistance and government food stamps in the WIC program. I did what I needed to do for my son's survival until I was able to do otherwise. I put my blinders on and worked my way out of this situation very quickly. So that's just an excerpt of, you know, a little something that I went through, wow. <laughs> you know, on, yeah, on my journey. And, um, you know, I wanted to share that because, you know, sometimes uh, when we're down, you know, we can't see the light at the end of the tunnel and we feel like, okay, we're stuck and we just can't get a, get out and we give up hope. And I just wanted people to see everything that I went through and how I still surfaced, you know, and I wanted them to believe that, you know, they can do it too because I know they can. You know, if you just uh, surround yourself with the right people, get the proper tools in place. And, of course, you know, I believe strongly in prayer. You know, so that helped me through a lot also. So do you mind if I ask you some specific questions about that passage that you read? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. So you sat and waited because of medical protocol you waited for two mm -hmm. hours mm -hmm. what did the doctor say and what happened when you, i mean because then it's like that's the reality right before right. you're, you're kind of speculating i mean you knew it because you're in the medical field and you saw it you read the emotions of the the tech the mm -hmm. ultrasound technician but then the reality hits you right then mm -hmm. when those words are uttered. What, what did the doctor say and what went through your mind at that moment? Uh, well, he came up to me and of course he was very kind, you know, he approached me by name, you know, and uh, basically said that, you know, he was very sorry but, you know, for some reason, uh, the baby had died. And, you know, of course, there was absolutely nothing that they could do at this point. And he told me that I would have to follow through with a dilatation to retage, which is where they go in and clean my uterus out. And, um, you know, once again, he was very sorry. And so... Um, I don't know. I, I, I can say that I was just devastated. I was, I just felt broken, you know, and like I said, to the point where I didn't want to um, even be touched, you know, for months, 
you know, I just wanted to be left alone. It's like I just went into a cocoon, you know. So, yeah, you know, that was a rough time. <laughs> that, I mean, I can only imagine that because a lot of people don't even know what to say when a friend or relative has a miscarriage. Did you find that that mm -hmm. was challenging for your friends and family to deal with as well? Like they don't even know what to say to you at that point. So maybe they're not, were they supportive? Were they able to be helpful and supportive to you? Or what did you find around that circumstance? Well, as far as my immediate family, I was away from them. Um, so, you know, like not much was said, you know, they just basically, I think more people try to not talk about it too much, <laughs> mm -hmm. say that, which probably was not a bad thing, uh, you know, said they were sorry, and then, you know, just try to um, distract me and talk about other things, you know, so, um which I think was probably, you know, not a bad thing because oftentimes, um, even when you have a death in the family, which is basically the same thing, except the person was not actually living, born and living, uh, when people keep offering their condolences and, you know, keep bringing it up, it's like it's um, reopening the wound, you know, so... Mm -hmm. I think that probably is not a bad approach to try to distract me and, you know, talk about other things or invite me out or, you know, yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> try to divert my attention. And you mentioned that later you were able to have your beautiful baby boy, which I know that I'm crazy about my baby boy, so I know you were crazy about your baby <laughs> boy, right? Right. <laughs> Um, but then the marriage fell apart. The relationship fell apart. Um, right. That, I mean, that in and of itself must have been like, man, come on. <laughs> we just got through all of this, and now we have this right. beautiful gift. We have this beautiful gift. Right. How did you navigate that emotionally? Um, basically, I think, uh, well, <laughs> this might uh, sound a little bit off the cuff, but I think having my baby helped a lot because I, I was so busy, you know, occupied with caring for this child and working, you know, and of course, becoming a single parent then, I had to, I could not, like, stay out of work long. I had to go back to work when he, I believe he was, like, six weeks. Mm-hmm. So I had to put him in daycare, and but unfortunately for me, where I was working at the time, they had a daycare site on the premises. You know, I, I had to walk a little way across the, you know, the grounds, but it was on the same property. So you know that worked out quite well. But I think you know just be, keeping myself busy with work and keeping myself busy with taking care of Bradley helped a lot. You know, so. Mm -hmm. um, it was still very difficult. I mean, divorce is never easy, never easy, you know. So I think I, 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 if I remember correctly, I'm pretty sure that I cried for about a whole year. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then I was like, okay, I'm done, you know. I'm moving on now. I have no more chairs left, you know. So 
Yeah, so basically, I just fix myself up, and, you know, I, I have to, I said, I have to keep going, you know, I have to keep going. It's not only for me, but for my son, you know, so. And the financial burden, you know, because I'm, I'm also divorced and a mother of three, right. and the financial mm-hmm. burden, the way that it shifts, uh, I think the research showed, I'd, I'd read some time back that Men, on average, after a divorce, their lifestyle and income situation, their financial situation overall tends to go down for about three years. But women and Mm -hmm. children who are uh, from divorce, their situation, their financial situation goes down on average seven or eight years before Mm -hmm. it starts to go back up to get anywhere near. And it may never reach what it was before the divorce. Right. And um, how did I, how did it feel to have to, you know, you're like, I've I've been working hard, I've gotten education, I've done all these things, and I'm still not earning enough to support the lifestyle that I had. And I've got to go and ask for help from the government that I mean, Mm -hmm. I've been there and I've done that. (laughs) Yeah. I found it demoralizing. I found it, I mean, humiliating. What, what did you find about that process? And how did, how did you finally come to that decision to go and seek outside help? Because if I know anything about uh, uh, the people, uh, the island people, Y'all are not a going, going, looking for help kind of people. Y'all are about, <laughs> I got to get it, right? I know how y'all do. Yes. So that had to have been yes. a challenging, that had to have been challenging for you to be willing to say, okay, listen, it's not about me. It, you know, how'd you, how'd you mm-hmm. finally come to that decision? Yeah, well, like I said, again, you know, it came back to, you know, my precious little bundle, you know, <laughs> like I just used to do was best for him and his survival, you know, and I believe if if a, if a baby was not involved, I probably would have kept it out, like you said, like an island person and just worked three jobs or whatever, but that's not, that was not feasible, right? Because mm-hmm. I have a child to take care of, you know, so that probably would have been, been, have been my option if there was no child involved, but then I had to seek a balance, you know, so... I could be with my child and give him the care that he needed and, you know, provide him with everything that he needs and, you know, like, and still have time, you know, still have time to care for him properly. And so that was, that was what I saw as a ticket at the time, you know, but I also knew that I wasn't going to stay there, you know, that I looked at a temper situation and in the meantime, I'm going to push through and get where I need to go, you know, so, so that's what I did, you know, it was like a little plug, but in the meantime, you know, I had, I worked my way out of it, so. When, how did you work your way out of it? What was your process? What, what were the steps that you took? Well, um, after I, but I pretty much um, started looking back into looking into going back to school, and um, later on, you know, this is this is you know this is like I said, um, 
a lot of it is wasn't easy for me to reveal because this is now I'm talking about a second marriage now, you know, because mm-hmm. after that was when I met my second husband, okay, and that also ended in divorce, so I'm I'm single right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, so when I met him, you know, he had three young kids also. And um, at first it was a no for me. I was like, you know, I have enough baggage of my own. But anyway, that really ended up um, getting married and, you know, moving to Hawaii. And um, basically um, I I told him that I'd always wanted to go back to school. So getting back in school, into school was my goal in terms of, eventually increasing my income. So that's what I was focused on. And even though he was away a lot, you know, like pretty much at a time, which made it extremely difficult, he was very supportive. And he was like, if that's what you want to do, do it. And so I was like, how are we going to do it? You know, we barely have any money. We're still living from paycheck to paycheck. So when I started taking like one class at a time, one or two classes at a time, and I was doing really, really well, you know, just getting all A's basically. And I walked into a counselor's office one day to seek advice as to what prereqs I should take next. And she was looking at my grades and she was like, why are you taking those one or two classes? You're doing so well. And I was like, well, it's a matter of affordability or lack thereof. And then she said, did you know there's a military spouse scholarship? And I was like, no. So I quickly took a seat, and she told me about it. I applied for the scholarship. I got it, and I was able to attend school on a full-time basis after that. And this was just through my prereqs for two years because at the time, uh, uh, Hawaii did not have a pharmacy school. Now they do. And I had planned to come back to the mainland anyway, you know. So after that... After getting that Lisa Leeboy uh, Russell scholarship, I also had a teacher, an economics teacher, who's from Jamaica also, and she spoke to, she always um, tried to find ways to decrease the financial burden of the of her students. And she talked to me one day about this Jack Kent Cook undergraduate scholarship which allows students to transfer from a two-year school to a four-year school tuition-free. And when she showed me the requirements, I was like, oh, no, I can never do that. You know, that's too rigorous. And, you know, I'll, you know, how am I going to write all those essays effectively? And all the negative talk kicked in. But she was very persistent, and I'm so glad, you know. <laughs> And so, because I had all these excuses, I don't have time, you know, it's this and that, and I remember I ended up two people, two of us from our school, from the school at the time, Honolulu Community College, applied for the scholarship. And when I found out who the other person was that I was competing against, he was a very popular, charismatic young man who was a member of many clubs, and he was a dynamic public speaker. And I was just trying to stay afloat and running from school to work, you know, I mean, not work, from school to home, taking care of my kids. So when I found out who it was, I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm done in debt. There's no way I'll be able to beat him, you know? Mm-hmm. However, let me tell you, God is so good because <laughs> I got the call oh. saying I was the recipient. 
and I could not believe it. At first, my initial reaction was, I told the lady, I said, stop playing. This is not funny. <laughs> and then I interviewed her. I interviewed her to verify her authenticity, that she was actually calling from this foundation, and she was. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. Yes. And I remember I told her, hold on a minute, and I muted the phone, and then I was jumping up and down and screaming in my house. And then I collected myself again, and I reconnected with her calmly. And the beautiful thing about that is that the Jack Kent Cook Foundation did not only offer an undergrad scholarship. When I went to the mainland and came to the main, back to the mainland and continued my education, I was able to apply for the Jack Kent Cook Graduate Scholarship. So I ended up going through all six years not paying a penny. In addition to that, I also got the Chancellor's Scholarship, which was, which was local at the university here. And so when I was done with school, I owed the government nothing. Oh, that's So that beautiful. was, I mean, that was a tremendous blessing. I mean, I that was so incredible, unbelievable. <laughs> that's beautiful. So, yes. So what I'm hearing so is have, that getting those resources, getting the information helped you to move forward exactly exactly and also and also catching yourself or having someone catch you when you were saying i can't do this because of this i can't do this because of that exactly i think you know like i said before having surrounded by the right people is so critical so critical surrounded with positive people who are like-minded. If you had three pieces of information or three pieces of advice to offer to someone who is in the position you are in, what would it be? What would those three pieces of information or advice be? I would say... Uh, okay, I'm trying not to do more than three. I would say uh, believe in yourself. Um, sit at the feet of those who are where you would like to be and learn from them and emulate them. And also, well, that ties in with getting, getting accountability partners who will help you to stay on track and also surrounding yourself with uh, positive, like-minded people. And just treat all, the third piece would be treat all negative views of your past as lessons learned and move on and just know that you're enough. You are enough. That is an important message. Yes. That's a critical, critical message because we often, especially I think women, we sometimes think yeah. that we we aren't qualified or we don't have enough knowledge or we don't have enough experience or we don't have the resources or we don't have the time. Right. But you have everything you need. Yes, you have everything you need. If and I were going to add... If, if I could add one more piece to that, I would say don't wait until things are perfect. There's no such thing as the perfect time for anything. Exactly. 
Exactly. I, I, I completely agree. Well, Dr. Marcia, I want to ask you, where can people get your books? Oh, um, I have a website. My website is, let me make sure I have it correct now. It's Marcia D. Demers.com. And let me put it in here really quickly to make sure I have it. Yeah, it's Marcia D. Demers.com. So it's M A R. C-I-A-D-D-E-M-E-R-S dot com. And just let me say that since I have written those two books and have become uh, an international bestseller twice, I have now also, you know, signed up and I'm now a certified author coach and I help people who are interested in writing bestsellers. And I use a formula that if you follow it, it's guaranteed you'll become a bestseller. So you're not just writing a book, but you're writing a best-selling book. So, but if they go on my website, marciadedemers.com, all of the information is there. So they can sign up. Is this, this is a course that you're offering? This is a coaching call? What is it that you're offering it, through your website? I do. I do a free, they would have to contact me, of course, and the first step is I do a free workshop just to find out if, you know, they're fit for what I do, and then um, if they want to talk some more, I can also do like a free strategy call one-on-one, and then after that, you know, we get them into the program, and the program is not, the program itself is not free, but the workshop and the strategy call they, they both are. Awesome. So, and can yeah. they catch up with you on social media? And if so, where? Oh, yes. Um, on Facebook, I'm on the Marcia Demers, M-A-R-C-I-A-D-E-M-E-R-S. On Instagram, I don't remember <laughs> <laughs> what my, yeah, my IG, but I usually link it back. Um, I think everything, I think, I believe all of the information, however, is on my website as far as all my social media sites. Okay. I'm, I'm on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and all of the information is there on my website is how to connect. Awesome. So they can go to. My telephone is also there. My email address is also there. So they can go to Marcia D. Demers, M-A-R-C-I-A. D, D E M E R S dot com, and they can see where to connect with you on social media. That's going to be like LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook, and also your email address is there. And they can sign up for your free workshop, or and or strategy call. Yes. Yes, they they can they would contact me, and then we would set up the uh, the free workshop because I usually do that as a group effort. Not that I would never do it one-on-one, of course, if there's only one person, but the workshop is usually a group, and then the strategy session is one-on-one, and then we'll take it from there. If they decide, you know, I want to do this, you know, you know, it fits me. Very cool. Well, you guys who are interested in writing those books, get up off of it and get in touch with Dr. Demers so that you can get your story out there. You never know who your story is going to touch. You never know whose life you're going to impact 
by sharing your story and just those things about your life. People always feel like they're alone in these things, but I promise that you're not. So get in touch with Dr. Yeah. Demers, marciademers.com. Dr. Marcia, thank you so much for being on Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Berard. You're very welcome, and thanks again for having me, Michelle. It's been a delight. Okay, guys, so we're going to take a quick break for some announcements, and then we'll be back for a chat with Julia Black in our new segment called True Talk. Hey, folks, John Kane here with Exponential Cashflow. If you've ever had a money challenge in your life, meaning lack of money, then I think my company can help. We teach average hardworking folks how to successfully invest in the financial markets. You don't need a lot of money, which a lot of people think opposite. And we teach folks from teenagers up to senior citizens, so anyone can learn. If you're interested in learning more, then all you got to do is go to exponentialcashflow.com and give us a little information about yourself and in return we're going to send you a free ebook on how the professionals do it plus we're also going to give you a free personalized investment strategy session and if you happen to own a business we'll give you a free business growth strategy session as well so go to exponentialcashflow.com all right so we are back and I'd like to welcome you back to somewhere in the middle with Michelle Berard and we are about to start our new segment which we call true talk and I have with me Julia Black, empathic healer, Reiki master, and all-around goddess. So welcome, Julia. Thank you. I love being here. Thank you so much for coming on the show again and for joining me on True Talk. So I was listening to uh, the interview with Dr. Demers, and one of the things that really struck me in listening to that, you know, a couple of times was, the concept of how we process our emotions through challenging, through even traumatic experiences. And I'd like to know your thoughts on that. Well, what's interesting to me about it is that for so long in my life, I spent, actually, I I spent most of my childhood um, and teenage years pretty much ignoring emotion completely. It was a coping mechanism. Um, cause I was that, uh, I was that kid in school that everyone bullied and teased. And so kind of to cope with all of that, I, um, just decided I wasn't going to feel anything. So I kind of went through most of my childhood and my teens kind of being walking around kind of like a zombie. By the time I got to my 20s, I really decided, I made the conscious decision that that wasn't healthy anymore. Um, And when I did that, realized that actually feeling things was really hard um, and then spent most of my 20s kind of working, not even really working working through the emotions as much as ignoring the emotions, finding things to do that would, so that I didn't have to think about them or feel them, whether that was working or dating someone or, you know, finding something to take my mind off of it altogether. Um, I have a tendency to read when I don't want to deal with my emotions. So I'd spent most of my 20s, 
most of my 20s with my nose in a novel, which hasn't changed much, but at least now I'm not doing it to ignore the feelings that I'm having. Um, But I had this realization um, about 10 years ago that emotions, extreme emotions of all kinds, whether it's extreme emotions or um, just kind of frustration or whatever, that's all normal. Um, And they're actually meant to be felt. Um, And to take it a step further, that it's important to actually take the time to feel those emotions. Because if you don't, it... um, you're going to have to do it later on and it's all going to come back kind of as a deluge, more like an avalanche to me. Um, or at least for me, it was, um, American society in general encourages, um, denial of negative or extreme emotions. Um, and it was, and it can become hard when you take the time to actually feel them. People that feel their emotions, people that cry, people that are seen seen as being overdramatic, it's negative, right? And it's not. Um, Well, and in the U.S. in particular, well, I mean, there are a couple of things that, that I observe. One is, you know, you know, stop acting like a girl. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I mean, even I'm guilty of saying that sometimes, you know, like, you know, stop being such a girl, you know, with the mm-hmm. crying and the, the emoting over things. Um, but I mean, for me as a black woman in particular, I think African American women, we get this uh, stereotype that we are angry or we are dramatic or we're you know, if if we get frustrated, if we get angry, if we cry, if we want to lash out in any way because we're being wronged in some way or we feel that we're being um, wronged in some way, if we stand up for ourselves, uh, that's perceived as particularly negative and, well, frankly, in some cases can end you up in, in jail or even dead uh, over it because it's perceived in a particular way. But even just the the crying or, and I know for me, I, I cry when I get frustrated. If you see me crying, it's usually because I'm angry and I feel powerless. Like I can't do anything because if I say something, then that's a whole nother issue. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what, what would you, um, what would you, what do you think are some of the things that we can do or we should be thinking about as, obviously feeling people we are we are people and we feel things and our emotions must serve some purpose otherwise we wouldn't have them right mm-hmm. yeah um i think with uh, and i and i would actually put some put illness in the same category but for the most part i think when you're having an extreme emotion or when your body is sick or ill um and sometimes if you have a lot of extreme emotions it can lead to illness um, I actually think it's a uh, it's an indication that you need to just slow down. Uh, if you can stop everything, then great, but most of us don't have that luxury. Uh, we still have to go to work. We still have to, you know, make sure the kids go to school and make dinner, and, and we still have all of those chores that we have to do. Um, 
But we can take the time and make a, make a more concerted effort to just stop and give yourself space to actually feel it. Um, you know, I've been known to take an entire day. If I, if I know that I'm feeling emotional and I'm not doing anything, I'll just go to bed and watch movies and just kind of feel everything in journal and, and just kind of work my way through it. Um, if you don't, if you can't take a whole day, um, and most people can't, um, take a bath, do still do self care stuff at the same time. And it will actually help. It, it kind of serves to balance it out a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. You're doing something that's for you, um, that you, that you and your brain think is more of like a, like you're spoiling yourself, right? If you take the time to take a bath or go get a pedicure or go get a massage or do something, just make sure that you have, while you're there, you have the space to actually feel and let go and cry or um, kind of process at the same time. Um, Well, and I would, I would say also just acknowledging the feeling, just acknowledging it, right? Yeah. just saying, I, I think the challenge is sometimes we don't know what we feel. And mm-hmm. by sitting down and kind of kind of figuring out what is it that I'm feeling? Am I feeling anger? If so, why am I feeling this mm-hmm. anger? Am I feeling sadness? If so, why am I feeling this sadness? Mm-hmm. Um, am I feeling frustration? Because there's a distinction. There's a slight distinction, you know, frustration versus anger. Yeah, so, and sometimes frustration causes anger. So really drilling down into what the feeling is and acknowledging it, mm-hmm. I think I find for me, in and of itself helps to dissipate it to some extent to where it's more manageable and then I can deal with whatever the issue is at hand. Yeah. But I think that, but, but I, I would, I absolutely agree with that. I also think that, um, sometimes it's hard to pinpoint what's causing the emotion. Um, and that's kind of where you just need to sit with it. And if you can't think about, you can, it's probably easier for women, at least for most of the women I know, um, it's a lot easier, I think, to pinpoint the emotion than it is to figure out where it came from. Um, but that's kind of the importance of sitting with it for a minute and feeling it and going, okay, what am I feeling? Now then think back to when you started feeling it um, and then think back to what occurred right around when you started feeling it. Um, and that should help pinpoint what caused it. Um, and if you can't, then think about all of those things that have happened in your life recently that all of a sudden you're not, aren't sitting well with you. Um, Cause sometimes it's something for me anyway, sometimes it's something super minor um, or sometimes it's so big that there are so many emotions that you can't pinpoint all of them, you know, like, so when I went through a divorce, there were so, there were so many emotions involved that there was no way for me to pinpoint just one emotion. Um, it was, okay, what am I feeling right this second? And what, you know, how do I work through that, this particular moment and then work through the next one? Um, yeah, does that make sense? Yeah. And ultimately though, ultimately, if you're finding that you're having trouble processing Mm-hmm. If you're if you're finding that you can't do it on your own, please make sure you ask for help. Right, that's ultimately oh, yeah. 
um, I mean, and you can start by asking for help from friends and, and family, um, but it may be something that they can't help with. Maybe they don't get it. Maybe they, maybe you don't have those resources for whatever reason. So we would encourage you to, of course, you know, anyone to go ahead and seek help. I think that's the other side of this is that concept that uh, it's a sign of weakness to ask for help when you're confused or agitated, you know, yeah, we can go to the doctor for our bodies, but not necessarily for our minds and spirits. And that's not, that's not true. No, it's not. And in fact, you know, I spent, I spent most of my twenties going to therapy regularly. Um, and, and I think that's part of the reason why I, why it's so much easier for me now to work through the things that come come along, um, is because, in therapy is where I learned to pinpoint what the issue was. And in a lot of ways, for me in particular, it normalized a lot of the feelings that I was having. So I'd go in and I'd talk about something that happened that week and, and how angry or frustrated or sad or stressed out I was about it. And just hearing somebody who wasn't in my circle tell me, oh, that's totally normal. That to me, that was enough. Yeah. You know, they weren't taking sides, you know, that, you know, she wasn't necessarily taking sides. She could say, okay, yeah, that's normal, but, you know, maybe the way you handled it wasn't the best way, but your feelings were normal. Your feelings are justified. Um, but I th- I actually think therapy is um, something everybody should... It, if you, if you have the time and the resources, I think it's something that you should try, uh, that everybody should try. I think it was, I think it's more helpful, um, than a lot of things in keeping, keeping, keeping sane, really. I mean, (laughs) not just, but with everything, right? I mean, therapy taught me how to speak to my husband. It taught me how to communicate to others, um, in such a way so that hopefully it doesn't make them defensive. Um, there's a lot of things that you kind of learn when you're in therapy that, that help you process things like this and, um, and just kind of that you can apply to everything. All right, guys. So you've heard it. The three main takeaways here. Your emotions are normal, and, you know, you really need to just learn to accept those emotions sometimes, and you really probably only need to be super worried about them if they start to impede your ability to enjoy your life, Uh, you know, and in that case, you definitely want to seek help, and you can... um, just make sure that you acknowledge how you feel because sometimes just acknowledging that or and and kind of allowing yourself to feel those emotions makes a huge 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 difference in the way you experience them as opposed to trying to deny them or push them away and of course we do not offer any medical advice so please guys if you have any doubt at all in your mind please make sure that you seek medical attention, seek professional help, and there are tons and tons of uh, resources available in your particular state or your location. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Well, Julia, thank you again for being on the segment. And 
guys, listen uh, for the next time we do True Talk. Thank you. Well, that's our show this week, guys. You can reach out to me online at urbanbookeditor.com or my other URL, michelleberard.com. That's M-I-C-H-E-L-E-B-A-R-A-R-D.com. You can also reach me on Facebook and Instagram as Urban Book Editor. Send me a note. I'd love to hear from you. Feel free to send in some topics you'd like us to cover on the show. Again, I'd like to give a big shout-out to Beverly Black, Tribe Family Channel, and all the members of Tribe Family Channel. It is a pleasure and an honor to be associated with her and that great family of programs. Make sure you guys tune into the show on October 12th, where my guest will be educator Vanessa Turner. You can find us every other Friday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Mountain, 7 p.m. Central, and 8 p.m. Eastern at bit.ly, bit.ly, slash somewhere in the middle radio. You can also find us at bit.ly, bit.ly, slash somewhere in the middle podcast. Let's continue the conversation. You guys be good, stay mindful, and remain prayerful. Peace and blessings, y'all.